This is the Comedia Podcast with Vladimir Praknevsky, episode number 62. Today on the podcast. Success follows passion because it's so hard to get good at stuff. So it's just like, you know, I was absolutely obsessed with animation. So it's it wasn't even like I wrote on a calendar of like, hey, I better do this every day. Obsessed. It's just like any waking moment I had, it was like an obsession. And the more I've been doing what I've been doing, the more I get to witness people learn things and try to make careers. It's just like success follows passion in the people that just want to do it all the time, then just become really, really good because they're doing it all the time. Hey, Ucomedia family, welcome to another episode of the Ucomedia podcast. I'm your host, Vladimir Prognivsky, and today's guest is Michael Jones. Michael is the founder of an online motion graphics school called MoGraph Mentor. He also launched a physical campus in beautiful Sarasota, Florida called Create Academy. In this episode, we talk about Michael's creative journey, his family life, and all the great things that are happening at MoGraph Mentor and Create Academy. But before we jump into my conversation with Michael, I want to quickly tell you about one of our popular products called Smart Lower Third. It is a keyframeless and modular lower third template for Adobe After Effects. It allows users to create many custom modular lower thirds from just a single After Effects template. It is very easy to use, quick to make changes, and it comes with 30 lower third presets for After Effects. You can check it out at ucromedia.com slash smart L3RD. Again, go to ucromedia.com slash smart L3RD. And now here's my conversation with Michael Jones. Enjoy. Well, Michael, welcome to the show. Before we jump into talking about your creative journey, share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Uh, something interesting. Well, more recently, I've decided to go all in on Hawaiian shirts. I live in Florida now. <laughs> really? And uh, I literally, yes, just yesterday, went and bought a $130, very nice shirt oh, wow. from Tommy Bahama, which is like... It was like me and a bunch of like 65-year-old men browsing shirts <laughs> at this- so premium uh, shirts. I'm talking premium Hawaiian wow. shirts. I'm taking okay. this very seriously. <laughs> no uh, cut in corners. Okay. <laughs> I'm obviously wearing the shirt today since I've just purchased it. Oh, but I'm, I'm really liking this vibe where I've been going to the beach quite a bit. I'm getting quite tan and now I'm wearing uh, luxury Hawaiian shirts. So- how does it make you feel? <laughs> it makes me feel really good, really comfortable. <laughs> and the weather is really good in Sarasota, Florida. So where did you get, where did this come from? Like, how did you just one day wake up and say, hey, I'm going to get into it? You know, I'm probably over, I'm probably over correcting here. I just lived in the mountains for three years in Bend, Oregon and had an awesome time, but it was like, you know, beanies and thick coats. So the pendulum has swung and now I'm like having margaritas and wearing Hawaiian shirts and going to the beach. So you're embracing the beach culture, man. That's awesome. So yeah. how much did you spend so far? <laughs> how many shirts did you buy? I guess <laughs> that's pretty extravagant for me. You could ask my wife. I'm very cheap. I very rarely ever buy clothes, which is like why I guess color, it was, yeah. which, especially with color. So my wife was almost <laughs> stunned to see me in the shirt. She's like, Oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not, um, it's not a midlife crisis. Well, <laughs> this could be a phase. I'm not totally sure what's going on yet, but That'll be my interesting submission there. Yeah, I didn't see that coming, Michael. This is this is pretty incredible. I'll have to make your uh, your page on our podcast very colorful in lieu of your please do latest trend parrots, <laughs> yeah, and fauna. And you're also a father. How many kids do you have? Two kids, three year old girl, and a one and a half year old boy. Wow, you're you're a busy guy. So. I have two boys, by the way. So I'm a father of two boys. I wouldn't know what to do if I had a little girl. So 
Mm. <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's very a learning sweet. curve. It's it's very sweet. Yeah, I'm sure you have to be more diplomatic with uh, with a little girl. You have to uh, worry about hurting <laughs> feelings. Probably, I would assume. I don't know. I don't know what it's like. What is it? I like do. It's so funny how kids are different. She can be emotional, but also she's three right now. So three year olds are highly irrational and emotional. It's they true. get upset about all sorts of totally crazy things. But no, I mean, yeah, my, my son is crazy for sure and super intense and never wants to be pinned down. And, you know, my daughter will come sit in my lap and cuddle with me and I'll try to like grab him. And he's just like, dad, get off of me and wants to, uh, <laughs> he's, um, he'll see me swinging my golf club. So now he carries his golf club everywhere because they also, you know, imitate everything you do. So now my son is wearing Hawaiian shirts and carrying around. I was about to ask you, (laughs) did you pay the same amount for his though? Oh man, it's fun to dress the kids up though, right? Like you can really, uh, you can really, you know, they don't, they don't care what they're wearing. So man, I kid you not, my kid, my six-year-old just left. He just gave me a hug and he left to go to his cousin's house wearing a football helmet and the whole like Ohio State football outfit he got on his birth- for his birthday a couple days ago. And you so, see, yeah, that's I, totally you know, acceptable for a child and totally. that's amazing. Yeah. But if you're an adult driving in a full, uh, well, I guess, you know, most, most be, I guess it would be acceptable depending if it's a football season. <laughs> Maybe. We're not there I'll yet, but I dream of, yes, living in that world. Sure. Yeah. No, I dress the kids up in Miami gear come uh, college football game days. We're Miami, ah, Miami Hurricane it. fans. There you go. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, let, Michael, let's start from the very beginning. How did you get into MoGraph? Just walk us through it. Go as far back as you want to go. Um, how did I get into motion design? The simple story is that I had a brother-in-law who went into character animation. He went to Ringling School of Art and Design because he wanted to be an animator and go work at Disney or Pixar, work in animated feature films. And so my first exposure was him you know, showing me the software in Autodesk Maya and showing me how rigs worked. And I grew up playing sports. I, my dad was in the U.S. Army, so I kind of grew up on military bases, super into sports, soccer, basketball, watching football. I didn't really play football, but my whole life was kind of sports and school and church. We were raised in church and never an artist and never good at drawing and never had a conception that There was a whole world of designers and animators and artists doing advertising and branding and entertainment and all the rest of it. And so my sister marries this guy and he's kind of going on this path and then getting really interested in it. And like a lot of people, then kind of going online, finding animation training, design training. I signed up for some online character animation courses that my parents were gracious enough to help me pay for. And so did some kind of ball bounce stuff in Maya, some simple walk cycle stuff. And some somewhere along the line in some forum, I became acquainted with the idea of motion graphics and then kind of pivoted away from character stuff and got super interested in these kind of flat shape animations and, and also learning about design and learning about Photoshop. And so at that point, I went and uh, after some online learning, did an internship, an unpaid internship for about nine months at a production studio in Cooper City, Florida. Got to learn a lot about video and a lot about motion design. And so then I guess after kind of that nine months and maybe like another year after that of taking more online classes, doing more online training, put together a portfolio and went and got a job at a church in Fayetteville, North Carolina on their media team. So it was a church that had multiple locations and... So they had a core creative team of maybe seven or eight people 
that would make video content for the services, that would do advertising for the church. I was there for about a year, then went to a different church, a slightly larger church in Anderson, South Carolina, that had a media team more of like 30 people. So that was also a great learning experience to get better at animation and design. Um, So I guess at this point, I had kind of been doing this stuff for three or four years and wanted to get more serious about trying to do advertising work. So then I took a position in Portland, Oregon at an ad agency. That job didn't last very long. That's kind of a whole crazy side story (laughs) of working at that company. But I was only there for about three months and then just decided to kind of freelance in the city of Portland and bounce around. And I landed with a studio called Cardboard Castle, led by a guy named Cooper Johnson and his wife, Alicia. They were kind of business partners running this really, really good 3D, 2D MoGraph studio that was getting a lot of kind of downstream agency stuff from some of the larger ad agencies in Portland. And spending time in that studio really helped me take a bunch of leaps forward in understanding Cinema 4D, getting better with design, getting better with animation. And then after, I'd say maybe well over a year with them, just started taking other freelance projects. I'd had a lot of churches who were reaching out to me, asking for videos, kind of smaller agencies in Portland and in other cities reaching out, asking me to do certain projects. So then I just spent a couple of years freelancing and just doing client work. And that led up to then uh, wanting to start MoGraph Mentor, but I guess I'll kind of kind of stop it there in terms of... Yeah, that's how I got into the industry. And then, you know, really a four or five year process of, you know, that was kind of my educational period of learning on the job since I didn't attend an art school or anything like that. You know, it's interesting that you started in church and uh, I have a kind of similar path. I worked for Billy Graham and worked for a church as well. I think it's interesting because like, especially in America, churches have a lot of equipment, a lot of expensive stuff. If you want to have hands-on experience with the equipment, like cameras and all that other stuff. Man, there's so many dream teams. Like it seems like every church has a dream team that you can join and have hands-on experience. What are your thoughts on that? Like as far as uh, getting hands-on experience, would you recommend something like that? Certainly, if you're if you're involved in the church, that's definitely a great way. I was definitely ignorant to that. I grew up in small Lutheran churches specifically, and it was totally foreign to me that there were these mega churches that had 15 locations and 20,000 attendees. <laughs> yeah, there's here in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a total educational experience of like, wow, I had no idea this existed. And you have these huge media teams and it's like they have their own in-house agency right there. Um, so what an incredible privilege for me just to have been in, you know, to be a Christian and be in the church and then have that to opportunity to be exposed to those things, because that's such a huge education that you're essentially getting for free or maybe even you're being paid, you know, and these churches have often way lower standards about your creative ability if you, you know, versus like the commercial advertising world in which you really need to be more developed typically. So, you know, the barrier of entry, entry is typically lower too. So for someone who didn't attend an art school to get a creative job was just a huge, you know, blessing, privilege, whatever you want to call it. I feel extremely lucky that, that I got those opportunities. No, same here. And you know, a lot of churches even hire within the church that I worked at, for example, they always yeah. wanted to hire people within. So it's a great way to get involved, learn from people that have been doing it for a long time. So anyway, totally yeah. sidetracking from where <laughs> I wanted to go. Now, I'm yeah. curious because your mother is a lifelong educator. I was reading through your bio. How did that impact you with MoGraph Mentor? Like, it seems like you grew up around education. Did, did your mom play any influence in that at all? Yeah, that must be part of it. So yeah, she 
got our degree in early childhood from Kansas State University. And I grew up mostly in Fort Riley, Kansas, which is kind of right there in the middle of Kansas near the school. And yeah, she'd been doing early childhood education now for about 30 years, kind of different roles as kindergarten teachers, early childhood directors. She was a principal of an elementary school at one point. My father, after he got out of the military, became a Lutheran minister. So kind oh, of wow. he, had his, he had his midlife swing where he gets <laughs> out of the military. He has to go for five years. You have to get a master's degree to be a wow. minister in the Lutheran church. So he has to drop everything. He had actually had no previous bachelor's degree. So he has to go to Dallas Baptist University for several years of like doing night school. Then he goes to a Lutheran seminary in St. Louis. So he moves the whole family, you know, like... <laughs> 13 years old, it's like, okay, we're going to start over. He's he's going to this university now, and he's like almost 40 years old. But even spending time on that campus was really awesome. It's really beautiful. And yeah, I got to spend a lot of time around education. And then when he became a pastor, pastors spend a lot of time writing programs and writing small group studies and creating outlines. And there's kind of an educational component to the day-to-day aspect of a minister's job. So like even just observing him of like, oh, you're just like putting together a course and that's something someone can do. So yeah, no doubt. There's probably like a lot of value to just the subtle examples that I got to see from what they were doing. No. And he's, he was in the army. So I'm sure you learned your discipline from your dad and then the course creation and the mom. So you were kind of just lucky to he be was very disciplined yes <laughs> some of it rubbed off for sure <laughs> <laughs> no that, that's that's pretty cool and what, what was your first job so your first job was with the church right you, you were working there and then- well i mean my first jobs i definitely worked tons of menial labor jobs because my dad was working as a janitor when he was trying to put oh, himself okay. through school and he would bring me along and we, he worked for this nice jewish man who's like yeah you could bring your son and i'll give him like two bucks an hour and he can clean toilets and clean out the pony <laughs> pen. They had a pony at this Montessori school that we would clean, you know, three times a week. So yeah, first job was like janitor stuff. And then I stocked soda machines for a while. I think when I was like 12, that was like a good experience. And then I spent a lot of time in the service industry from like 16 to 20, 21. Like being a waiter? Like, and- like being a bartender, being a waiter, worked at this awesome Mexican restaurant in Atlanta for several years just pouring people, margaritas, old people, you know, $15 (laughs) plate of uh, enchiladas. And I actually really liked that stuff. Like I really liked the service industry and and like talking to people and doing customer service stuff. That's where I learned my English, Michael. Yeah. Um, When I moved to the United States, I didn't speak a word of English. And it's interesting how much we have in common because I started out at church, you know, with uh, my graphic stuff. And I'm yeah. a pastor's kid too. But in the mm. restaurant business, that's where I learned how to speak really. Because like, think about this. Mm. If you don't, if your English is not that great and you're not confident, where is a good place to go to learn? Somebody will take yeah. you for not a whole lot. And then all day long, all you do, you just learn how to deal with people. I think it's, yeah. I think everyone should try it at least <laughs> for a season, right? I mean, it Yeah, I'm definitely in the camp of like, yeah, everyone would be more polite if to their waiters, <laughs> if they had to at some point wait, wait on someone. You have any interesting stories from the, your waiting days? Gosh, I don't really have any horror stories. I always thought people were pretty pretty good. And people that were rude, it's like it never bothered me that much. I like talking. So like, yeah, that was probably a good fit for me to just uh, get to explain menus and <laughs> and uh, and make tips and be, be extremely formal. I like being really formal. Although I know I said I'm wearing the Hawaiian shirt thing now. Like, <laughs> there's a part of my personality that enjoys really... F- like formality. Um, so 
yeah, no, that, that's, that's a awesome. tangent unto itself, but yeah. <laughs> no, there are a lot of great lessons that people don't think about in just in the service industry because you learn how to deal with people, you learn how to read people, you know, and then when you start going to, you know, working in your career life, that's all those skills, they transfer over, they carry over to your next career. Yeah. And uh, people, usually waiters are pretty smooth and I become really good businessmen because, I mean, think about this, you're selling food all day long, you're telling them, you're trying to have them order something super expensive, so your tip is going to be bigger, you know. And then you're dealing with complicated people. I mean, we all deal with clients, and they are not the best sometimes. And you have to learn how to deal with that. Now, I'm curious. I want to transition to speaking of uh, just uh, working for restaurants. I want to transition to a dark moment in your in your creative journey. Now, I want you to tell us the the story of your worst moment in your creative journey. So don't hold back any punches. Take it away, Michael. The worst moment in my creative journey. I mean, it's hard to separate creative journey from life generally, just like adult life. But like probably when my dad died about two, two, three years ago, he got a brain tumor. He had brain cancer and almost six months to the day of the diagnosis, he had passed away. And it's, um, he was 53 and his body was relatively healthy, but just, you know, this tumor in his brain and I mean, I just felt like for like a year after that, I was super depressed and unmotivated and it just was, you know, super depressing. I guess I was really Mm -hmm. sad that he was gone and it definitely made it hard to get excited about doing animation or doing design. And, you know, I had been already running MoGraph Mentor for several years and also freelancing and I like to stay really busy and his dying really coincided with a general feeling of burnout. So yeah, that was like, it was a pretty rough year a few years ago, but you know, time passes and, um, you grieve and then you kind of move on. And so, yeah, now feeling, uh, optimistic and motivated and excited and, and happy again. And the Hawaii, the Hawaiian shirts are helping. So that's good. <laughs> and, well, is there uh, anything, anything in particular that you did that helps you overcome that? Or would you say just time heals? I don't know. I think it's just time. It's, um, it's probably different for everybody, but yeah, you know, and it's probably, yeah, more of like what's going on in life. And we had moved a bunch and then had a couple kids pretty quickly. And so it's, um, it's been a crazy, it's been a crazy few years, but I don't know, I guess, yeah, that's just, just adult life. We get to deal with these, uh, adult things now. Yeah, those are tough, man. Those are tough. I've been fortunate. My parents are still alive. They live up in Columbus, Ohio, that flatland where you can watch your dogs run away for three days. That's mm, <laughs> yes. That's the way they live. But I, you know, I, I am guilty sure. of not, not calling them enough, but that's, uh, I need to call them more. Now, shifting gears, shifting gears. Sure, Let's talk about sure. something positive. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us the story of your best moment in your creative journey. I think my best moments have been validating moments around MoGraph Mentor where like the program really helped people and they have careers and, or just their work really improved or they had good breakthroughs and it was an opportunity for them to, you know, the whole thing started with like art school is way too expensive. Let's try to build other really meaningful ways for people to become better artists. And so the, when there's been moments of like, wow, that they like really helped this person so much, that's so good that's very validating to the time you spend of like working on stuff and building things and marketing and finances and like doing all the rest. So those are like easily the highlights of kind of what I've been up to for the last, you know, however many years. Hmm. How many students went through, I guess, from the beginning, when, when you guys started up until today? Yeah. How many have gone through the entire um, three classes is a few hundred people. 
a lot of people will take one class or now we kind of have more on-demand classes. So, you know, in the mentorship, we, we've worked with probably north of around 500 individuals over the last couple of years, you know, last three or four years. And then obviously thousands more who do the more kind of on-demand classes. But no, it's like, it's been an incredible privilege to be involved with it. And it's obviously all about these great mentors, these great artists who give of their time. And the whole theory is like, hey, that's what's great about art school is you get to go in there and spend time with someone who's been in the industry, who's really talented at the thing you want to get good at. And you get to spend a lot of hours kind of working through all the bad work you're going to make, like as you're learning these design or animation principles or technical stuff, and you're trying to put it all together. And there's just that organic human component that is so powerful about art school, but it's like, we just need to pry a little piece of that in a more affordable way and obviously online. So it creates a kind of flexibility of maybe you're in a different part of the world and you don't have access to that, or you just don't want to spend that amount of money to, to work with, you know, great instructors. What about Create Academy, your newest entrepreneurial adventure? How did, how did that come about? Yeah, so Create Academy came about in part through a desire to have a brand that allows me to build programs in areas like illustration and visual development and also character animation. MoGraph Mentor was built specifically for motion design, and obviously it's built into the name, calling it MoGraph Mentor. And I just feel like the same format is, is applicable in other fields. And I really want to start putting that together as well. For people who want to go into illustration or character animation, I would love to be able to recruit great instructors and organize a really impactful program and make it really affordable and build new ways for people to get into those industries as well without having to, yeah, go spend $100,000 at a traditional school. Mm -hmm. And this one, you guys have actually like a physical location, right? Yeah. So, so Create Academy was partly born out of, yeah, wanting to get into these other disciplines, but also wanting to experiment with more in-person workshopping on the ground, having a physical campus. And so, yes, we've, I've been experimenting with that as well. And that's something that's going to be continually evolving and probably will be a secondary thing to the online digital side of it. But Again, it's just like any opportunity to build those kind of human collaborative connections and environments that I really believe is kind of the best format for improving as an animator, improving as a designer, improving as an artist, because that is essentially what art schools do. Um, so I'm just interested in any way to kind of to kind of build around that. Are you interested in the expanding it to other states, cities? Yeah, probably not anytime soon. We'll see. That would be that would be cool. The campus in Sarasota is more kind of selfish for me and wanting to <laughs> wanting to just have a more interesting process as I'm building digital. But the scalable side of it for for the business side, and I've recently taken on a business partner and we've kind of built a board of directors. So it's really not even totally my decision anymore, but the area is of scale that we're gonna really focus on it is online. And building that kind of flexibility in what we have with MoGraph Mentor, now building that with Create Academy. And we'll continue to do in-person workshopping stuff on a small scale in person. But it's not really in the, the roadmap of the business to, to try to open more locations in other cities. Gotcha. So the days of client work pretty much over for you, right? 
Yeah, the days of client work are over, and uh, in some ways it feels good. In other ways, it makes me a little sad. Of like, <laughs> you know, I want to. I still would like to have become a way better designer and animator and illustrator and make cool things. But for now, it appears that part of my life is is probably on hold. What is your What is the day looking like? What What's your daily routine? Do you work mostly on location? Do you work free uh, from home? How is it? How is it for you every single day? Yep. Um, yeah, I'm working out of the office here in downtown Sarasota, kind of our little building here. And uh, yeah, right now most of my time is spent on kind of product development in terms of course development and program development. I've taken on a technical co-founder to kind of worry more about the marketing side and the platform side of stuff. So. My goal day to day is to make relationships with great instructors in these various industries and then try to learn what makes for the most effective programs if you want to go work in that industry. So if you want to be a visual development artist at DreamWorks and work on a TV show or a film, what is the what does the path look like for you in terms of taking the steps to learn what you need to learn and create a portfolio that positions you to go after that job? So like right now that is the stuff that I am most focused on day to day. And then kind of working with a technical partner to try to roll these things out. So 2019 is going to be a year of many, many new on-demand courses and program offerings on both MoGraph Mentor and Create Academy. So I'm spending my time trying to think about whether it's recruiting instructors and trying to make those relationships or working on what the program is going to be and what we're going to ask students to do and what the format should be. Wow, you wear many hats, man. How do you... How do you stay organized? Do you, do you use? Do you have any? I am pretty advice? disorganized, so <laughs> I have literally zero advice for anyone else. What about what about time management? It's with your kids. For example, how do you how do you unplug? From I am also and, terrible at time management, <laughs> so I will now I will take your suggestions about how to do any of that. It's a tough one, especially in the twenty first century. Everything you, especially you, you have so much going on. You're running so many different things. It really is hard, especially with family. Like that's what that's where I get the most guilt is when I'm with my kids, but really I'm not with my kids. You know what I mean? I'm thinking yeah. about the problem solving. That's every guest. I pretty much asked the same question because especially guests with, guests with kids like you, but you know, what works for me is uh, my wife. Finally, we just sat down. We said, look, we can't do this. This is madness. So every day we have a, we have this schedule. So we schedule Tuesday is my personal day. So it's a day where I, when I come home, when I'm done with my work, I do what I need to do. You know, I go for a run, I go work out, I do whatever I want, guilt free kind of. You know? And then Thursday is is her personal day, and then we have uh, on Wednesdays we have a personal day with our kids. So we alternate with two. So one week she'll take one, and I'll take the other one, and we'll just have like one on one intentional. And then Friday is my personal day with my wife. So that's what we kind of divided up the week, and it seems to hey, seems that's, to work. That's for a good us. plan. That's good advice. Yeah, I might have to steal that. <laughs> There's no copyright on that one. Man. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Um, what is the what is the key to your success? Is there if you had to choose one quality that you have, what would it be? I guess it was just perceiving some big picture stuff about what was valuable about art school and wanting to preserve that part of it. I guess, and it, it sounds silly to brag about anything because, like, literally nothing I'm doing is new or really that innovative. Like, like mentorship programs and online classes, and like, I am one person of many who is working on these similar things, but. I just, uh, I just want to focus on doing it as well as possible within the context of what I'm working on and with what I, you know, with, with what I, who I'm working with. And yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just not risk averse. Like I just don't feel like any of it is a risk and like, 
spending the money and like, I don't care about money in, in a way. And so like, I could see that if I was more risk averse, I would not have done all this and gone down all these crazy paths. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a prerequisite of building stuff like this of like, you have to be willing to pour tremendous amounts of time into stuff that might yield absolutely nothing and waste huge sums of money potentially. And that's, that's just kind of part of it. Is there anything that you do outside of Morgraph that kind of relaxes you? I know you've mentioned sports before. Is, it, is there anything else like that? I mean, and wearing Hawaiian shirts, of course. <laughs> Obviously, the Hawaiian shirts are a big part of this That's equation true. here. Is now. <laughs> no, for me, uh, I really like playing golf. So that's been a new thing. And obviously, when I'm not at work, just spending all my time with my family, we've been going out on boats into the Sarasota Bay quite a bit recently. And that's just been absolutely fantastic. It's so beautiful. And the water is so clear and we got these white sand beaches here in Sarasota. And so, yeah, just hanging out with friends and come college football season, I'm going to see a couple games. I'm going to the Miami Florida state game in Tallahassee. Nice. So that'll be nuts. Wow. And then, uh, taking the wife to the Miami Vatek game down in Miami in October. <laughs> so, I mean, now I'm like, I'm super relaxed here living in Florida. I was a little more stressed out living up in the mountains in Oregon when it's like cold all year and you have to be oh, inside and stay by the fire and, I actually would recommend to anyone listening, if you're like a kind of a stressed out person, which I can tend to be, is like living by the ocean is a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty good antidote to that. So I'm pretty, really? feeling pretty pleased with the decision to come down here. You know, I do think that the sun just, you know, I used to live in Columbus, Ohio. I don't know if you've been to Columbus, Ohio. We get like three sunny days a year and mm. it affects The sun is everything. a game changer. I will. I love it. It is. It's blue skies every day. It doesn't here, have to be warm, makes, but as long as it's blue sky and sunny. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. It just changes yeah, your yeah. mood. Like it's just all of a sudden you're, you're not down anymore. You know, it's like in England, it's like similar weather, like it is in, uh, I don't know, just rainy mm. all the time, overcast. That's why there's so many writers and or deep literature <laughs> came out of there because it's just depressed writing all yeah. these deep thoughts. No, but it, it mm. is true. Like moving to Charlotte, North Carolina for us was a game changer because it's always sunny. It might, may be cold outside, yeah. but I don't mind the cold as much as I mind as long as it's nice outside. If it's sunny, it's yeah, beautiful. Sure. It affects my whole day. Yeah, the sun belt. The sun belt's a good spot yeah. for sure. Now, what is what is the best advice you've ever received? Really? Putting you on the spot um, here. I mean, it's probably, yes, that like character matters and values matter. And you should work hard and be honest and do your best and be kind to people and forgive people and not hold grudges and I mean, life stuff. At some level, we're, we're all looking for the same thing. We all want to find peace and be happy and be content with our lives. And you can't, maybe maybe I'll credit my father-in-law, although don't tell him I said it. He once said, <laughs> I won't. Um, you know, you can't wish your life away. That's not original to him, but he said it to us. I'm like, you can't wish your life away. You can't always be, like, you do have to be content with wherever you are in that moment. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. That's very difficult, especially for people that are trying to build things and you're your head is always focused on the future and the things to come. And like you said, especially once you have kids, it's like, wow, you really can't do that or you'll miss, you'll miss all the great stuff, you know, that that's happening now. And just to try to find peace and contentment is more important than, than accomplishment really in the end. So, yeah. Because with accomplishments, it's never enough. It feels like, like you, you think it'll never be enough. Yeah. You think yeah. you're going to get to this level and you're like, that's it. And then you're like, wow, I can't believe it's, there's another, there's always another level, you know, and you can wear yourself. There's out. always another level. So you have to learn to be content in, in the moment. And that's, that's something I'm still learning. Now, where do you yeah. get your inspiration from? Do you follow any artists on YouTube? Any, 
um, I don't know, websites. Yeah, I'm a I'm a bit of a like a political history news junkie. So I like political biographies. And right now I'm going through Michelle Obama's book, which is fantastic, by the way. And I, I don't know, I'm, you know, it's part of growing up on military bases, being in a very patriotic family when you oh, when your father's in the US Army and you go fight for your country and he was <laughs> deployed in 90 and Desert Storm. And I consider myself a pretty patriotic individual. And I'm very deeply concerned about our country right now. And I do feel like there's like a civic responsibility aspect to living in this country. And so no, to answer your question, I don't spend a lot of time like following other artists on YouTube. I'm spending time. I just went through John Meacham's biography of George H.W. Bush, which was really fascinating. And one that I absolutely love was Teddy Roosevelt's biography. And Although we kind of caricature him as this great guy, he was actually so much more like Donald Trump when you like dig <laughs> into the details of just of this lying guy. demagogue and a lot of people died and a lot of innocent blood was shed and he may have been guilty of a bloodlust. But so just, yeah, I mean, I, I spend more time kind of thinking about history. I'm just always so curious to know about what happened before we got here and like any book I read or listen to on Audible, just like seems to create a new line of questioning of like, I don't know, I feel so ignorant to all the things that have happened. And maybe I didn't pay attention enough in like high school history. But yeah, I spent a, a lot of time looking at that. And then anything philosophical, uh, I'm always interested in hearing various philosophical or religious arguments as to where this all came from and uh, what, what what we're all doing here. No, that's, <laughs> so, that's awesome. How many books, if you had to guess, how many books a year or a month do you read? I listen to a lot more on Audible now than I do read, and, and I am listening to a lot more podcasts recently, but I mean, you know, not that many, maybe 15 in a year, kind of one a month kind of pace. Maybe I guess it depends more. on the book, right? How long the book is? <laughs> depends on the book, for sure. You know, Yuval Noah Harari's book, Sapiens, I found oh, yeah. just deeply interesting, and that one's not terribly long. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it just, just kind of depends. Sounds good. Now, I'm curious to hear your response on this one. What should artists, I guess, uh, MoGraph people, especially students, should be doing constantly, whether it's on daily basis or just as much as possible, in your personal opinion? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what, what they want to do. Like if you wanted to be a visual development artist, like drawing every single day would probably be a great rule for yourself. If you want to... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have everyday advice for people. Like like I said, I should probably be more organized and disciplined than I am. But I just think it's like success follows passion because it's so hard to get good at stuff. So it's just like, you know, I was absolutely obsessed with animation. So it's it wasn't even like I wrote on a calendar of like, hey, I better do this every day. Obsessed. It's just like any waking moment I had, it was like an obsession and the more I've been doing what I've been doing, the more I get to witness people learn things and try to make careers. It's just like success follows passion in the people that just want to do it all the time, then just become really, really good because they're doing it all the time. Yeah. And it's hard so, to compete with those that are obsessed with their craft. Like you, you kind of have to be a little gone with your craft, you know, to, to really make it, not just make it, but to be the best of the best. And that's more and more, the more people, I just interviewed a guy from New York. He's a producer, writer, director. And he told me he works all the time. And I asked him, I was like, oh my gosh, like you must be tired. He's like, dude, I love what I do. Why would I stop doing what I'm doing? Like, I love <laughs> yeah. it. I just produced yeah. uh, over a hundred something movies. And he's like, I love it. Mm. This is great. This is what keeps me going every morning. Like this is not work. You know, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, so they say. But now that's <laughs> true. But now you're transitioning to more of entrepreneurial, you know, just business kind of day to day. Is it? Because uh, it is a little different for you now, right? It is. It is definitely different. I'm definitely spending less time making stuff and more time trying to do administrative, logistical stuff. And yeah, that's been a process having to really just kind of accept that. And maybe good advice is to say, focus on one thing at a time. And I've had to learn that the hard way of trying to take every freelance project, but also try to run MoGraph Mentor. And I think eventually it's just like, you know, it's, it's better to focus on one thing. Either I should go be a motion designer or I should focus on doing administrative and logistical tasks related to MoGraph Mentor and Create Academy and Motion Sound and these projects. And they've all just kind of ballooned to the point where now it's like, I just have to focus on doing administrative and logistical stuff related to those and not, and not making work for now. So yeah, if you, if you are in the making work part of your life, then it's like, yeah, just focus on that and maybe don't think about business stuff or outsource, you know, some of your bookkeeping or your accounting or your taxes or stuff like that. I think that's definitely a mistake that I've had to learn from the hard way. I just wrote it down. <laughs> I need to make sure we, yeah. <laughs> cause we're kind of in the same boat a little bit. Now in closing, what's, uh, what's coming up for you in the future with MoGraph Mentor or Create Academy? Very excited to bring new training uh, on the MoGraph Mentor platform related to Cinema 4D, related to some of these kind of rendering engines, bringing out some new products like material packs, more resources for people. On the Create Academy side, we've got a visual development course coming out, like an on-demand intro to VizDev with this um, VizDev artist named Karen Kuo from DreamWorks, who's got absolutely fantastic portfolio, having a lot of fun putting that one together. That'll be out soon. And then this fall, Create Academy will launch its more in-depth mentorship program around illustration and around character animation. So, you know, similar to how we have on MoGraph Mentor, spending $6,000 in a year to really try to build a portfolio. Now we want to build those same things around these other disciplines. So we're working hard to try to organize everything and, and roll all that out. And yeah, hopefully find students who find it to be a valuable alternative. You know, there's, we're kind of at this moment where like even on Twitter, there's a lot of discussion around the cost of art school, you know, kind of averaging above $50,000 a year at some of the really good private schools. And what are the best options? You know, should you just watch free tutorials? Should you just take a bunch of boot camps? We want to build a program that just creates another option for people in those fields and I love character animation and I love illustration. So it's like, I'm just getting to geek out on like <laughs> even lining up the instructors around character animation and like people from Disney and DreamWorks and Pixar and, and who doesn't love animated films. So I'm just like so excited to be getting to do more things that involve feature films and television shows that are based around animation on both the illustration and VizDev side, but then also the character animation side. And I mean, like what more fun industry is there than just like making cartoons and, right. and films? So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Growing up, I, I, we didn't have, we didn't really have a TV. Well, it was like black and white, small, and you had to hit it every time for it to work. So now, because I have kids, now since I have kids, I'm like reliving my childhood by watching all the cartoons. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like none of this yes. was available when I was a kid, or at least where I live. Yeah. So now I'm reliving that. So when you said that, that's right. Sure. Now, yes. where can people go to, to, to learn more about you and how can people uh, get in touch with you? Yeah. So I spend time on Twitter at Michael Jones seven, you know, you can follow MoGraphMentor.com, uh, createacademy.io, 
motionsound.io is a sound library for that we built for motion designers wow. specifically. But yeah, you'll probably see me tweeting something political on Twitter. So <laughs> if you want to get into if you want to get into politics or religion or money, come talk to me on Twitter. <laughs> it's interesting. That's uh, most most people will avoid that, but you're brave. You're brave, Michael. You're brave. Yeah, I mostly avoid it too on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter's mostly now a spectator sport, it seems. You know, I deleted yes. Twitter and I deleted Facebook off my phone. I'm I'm done mm. with it. I, I, I can't do it yet. That's probably better for your mental <laughs> no, health. No, man, I, I it's true. And I have more time now. It's just like, well, it's just because I looked at, you know, how now cell phones, iPhones, they tell you how much time you spent on all these mm. apps and stuff. And when I looked, I, I, I mean, I almost had a heart attack. I was like, holy cow, I need to, yeah. I need to do this as soon as possible. And it's been one time my kids. <laughs> but yeah, Michael, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it on social media. I'd also be very grateful if you can rate, review, and subscribe to Ukraine Media Podcast on iTunes. It will only take you a few minutes, but it will help a lot in ranking this show. And it will also help other creatives discover this podcast. So, huge thank you in advance. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to email me at vladimir at ukramedia.com. And definitely check out our courses and products at ukramedia.com. As always, don't forget to join our online mentoring group on Facebook at ukramedia.com slash community. We have well over 2,900 people in this group. It is a great online resource for those of you trying to grow and it's absolutely free. Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Ukramedia Media Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>